0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Taking on the fake news. Isn't that a great title for this day and age in which we live? For whatever reason... We have been swallowed up in a deceptive format of culture, which is attempting to undermine and dupe those of us that are believers into thinking that uh, we're crazy and what we stand on and what we believe is just absolutely ridiculous. So as a result, it's very, very important that we know how to take this on spiritually because the battle that we fight is not just against flesh and blood. Uh, We do have elements of this battle that overlap into that, but our primary battle is a spiritual one. And as a result, for our soul's sanity and the sake of our soul's health, we need to know how to stand on the truth and to take on the fake news. So this is a study in the truthfulness of the Bible, and I think you'll find it encouraging. It's going to be part of a four-part series and the way we're doing this uh in my monday uh series uh, sessions you'll have a daily thunder which is what you're getting now and that will be you know one segment of a four-part segment but the other three segments will not actually be in the daily thunder podcast So you'll actually have to go to our website and excavate them. But hopefully it will make it easy for you and it'll be easy to come across them and go through part two, three, and four. So this is going to be one on the truthfulness of the Bible. And I think that's helpful for us right about now. Uh, So without further ado, taking on the fake news. So to really understand what is happening, we need to recognize that there is a crafty voice out there. Uh, that is calling into question the obvious truth. And I've said that uh, more than a few times over the years, that to me, the Bible just enunciates reality. And I stare around, and go, why doesn't everyone just agree with this? This is just the way it is. It is, it's an enunciation of reality, but the devil doesn't want us living in reality. It's sort of like this uh, LGBTQ transgender movement that has been taking place. It's really confusing. You take my kids and you... You, you mentioned the fact that there are people that believe there are 54 genders out there and they can't quite figure out how someone could come to that conclusion. And they're children and they have a simple mindset towards it. Of course, there's only two. There's male and there's female and that's reality. And yet there's this redefinition of it and that comes from this crafty voice. So let me uh, introduce you to the crafty voice at a whole nother level. First of all, we could call him the serpent and he goes way back. So he's uh, his, this voice is around 6,000 years old. Did God really say that? That's quote unquote from the serpent himself. You see, he's meeting up with Eve, at, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this is the same question he's going to ask her. Are you sure that that was God that said that? I mean, are you sure it's not just some good piece of information that got passed along to you, but the channels, you know, might be a little sketchy? In other words, there's a calling into question the integrity of God's word. God gave his word. The day in which you eat of that tree, you will surely die. His word. It's called the law of sin and death. You sin, you die. He gave his word. And so the crafty voice wants to disturb that. He wants to call that into question. Are you sure? Do we really think that that's true? So uh, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle, which means cunning, shrewd, and crafty, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. So there we see it right there. It's the, the classic line that he still uses to this day. This is not new. This is old time. This is old-fashioned stuff. This is the way it's been for generations and generations. So I'll, I'll give it in a few different phrases just to help you maybe trigger it into uh, uh, recollection of maybe how you've heard this. So King James, hath God said? New King James, has God indeed said? NIV, did God really say? ESV. Did God actually say? NASB. Indeed, has God said? RSV. Did God say? Youngs. Is it true that God hath said? So I don't know how he said it to you, but it's very likely it was in one of those translations, right? This is his, his very phraseology. He's calling into question something that God has described as pure, purified seven times over, without flaw, without fault, without error. And as a result, the devil wants you to question that, which is why the message like this can be important. So I'm going to give you an expanded edition of Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle, cunning, shrewd, and crafty, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? Has God indeed said? Did God really say? Did God actually say? Indeed has God said? Did God say? Is it true that God has said? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That which is reasonable, that which is true, that which is just reality has been called into question to make those of us that are staring at reality going, well, that's just what it is. Up is up, down is down, right is right, left is left. And it's confusing. The enemy wants to bring confusion. God is not the author of it. The enemy is. We need to remember that. So we're going to go way back in time. Rewind the biblical clock back to the desert years where Moses had delivered his people across the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness season. And God has clearly established Moses as the authority, Moses and Aaron very specifically. Moses as the direct uh, contact with God, and Aaron as the direct contact with the people. And so what we have is this character named Korah. Now, Korah had other characters working with him, but typically in Scripture, it's called Korah's Rebellion or the Korah rebellion. And he had an agenda and it's actually very similar to the Satanic agenda or the serpent's agenda in our life. Listen to this. If you're a good Israelite, question Moses. You see, it was politically correct at that time. The most famous people in Israel were following Korah. They were famous in the congregation. And he had an agenda, and that is if you're really sort of politically correct, if you're gonna be socially on track and you're gonna be with the hip crowd, you call into question Moses. Now, why would that matter? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which means when you're questioning Moses, you're actually questioning the Word of God. Uh This is the classic tale of the ages. This is what the serpent started in the tree in the Garden of Eden or at the tree. I always picture him sort of hanging from it. But and this is what you see continuing through anyone who is willing to be an agent of that serpent's voice, which we all have participated in at some level. But Korah was a big participator and God's going to solve that uh, question of who's in charge. And does Moses actually have something to say? And this is actually going to be the establishment of what we could even call the Word of God and the integrity of the Word of God. And so Moses is going to get this idea from God, and he's going to say, collect a rod from each of the tribes. So there's 12 tribes in Israel. Each of them has a rod. That rod is in the hand of the ruler or whoever's over that tribe. A rod is a symbol of authority. And so he's going to collect 12 rods, and each rod is going to have the name of the leader of that tribe inscribed upon it. And so even Moses and Aaron are going to have their rod, which is going to have Aaron's name upon it to represent them and their authority. And each of these rods is going to be set in the tabernacle of God, in the presence of God overnight. And God says, I'm going to answer this question for you. The rod that buds is the rod that rules. The rod that buds is the rod that actually has the say. So though Korah is a slick communicator, Does he actually have authority? Is he the truth? So God is going to establish who the truth is. And so the next morning, there's going to be something known as the budded rod. These are rods that are dead. In other words, they're cut off from trees. You don't see a rod that has been cut off actually blossom and bear almonds. This one will. And this is a supernatural statement of God's opinion on the matter which is gonna be very, very important. If you ever wanna look into this deeper on this particular point, I have a message called Canon that I would highly encourage, which goes through this idea of how Jesus is going to fulfill this and he is going to come back to life. The one that is cut off is gonna come back to life and be proof of God's truthfulness, okay? So that's that's a side comment over there, bonus stuff. Matthew 27, 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. This is God's pattern throughout the ages, where he is going to bud the rod, he is going to blossom, he is going to bear the almonds before his people to establish his truthfulness, to establish the trustworthiness of his word. There's something that Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper. He says, Look, I'm telling you this before it happens, so that when When it does happen, you will believe that I am. Which is a big statement because what what he means by that is that I am God. Uh, That's actually what he means. I am. Look, I'm telling you this before it happens so that when it does happen, you would believe that I am. So the reason God is going to give us his word and he's going to give us an understanding of what is to come is so that when it does happen, we would believe. Okay, that just makes sense. You see, this is a true record and it's proven true by what happens. The basis of belief, the word of God is the word of God, and it cannot lie. You see, our faith does not rest in just good feelings, that we just want God to be true, so we believe him to be true. No, he is true, and therefore we believe him true. You see, the basis of our belief is in this thing called the word of God, the text. Now, if you go back to my last uh, series that I gave last week, and it was called the five-finger giant, this is what I was establishing. It's our position in the Word and our position on the Word. You see, the Word of God is, in fact, God's Word. It's not the words of men. It is God's Word carried along. The writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit, who is, by the way, God, to reveal God, to reveal Jesus very specifically. And the key point, it cannot lie. So let's walk through that a little. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. So, you know, I've had this discussion with various people. You know, they'll ask Eric the question. So who wrote the book of Luke, Eric? Well, Luke. Eric, you're contradicting yourself. I thought you said that God wrote it. Mm -hmm, He did. Well, Eric, you just said Luke wrote it. Mm -hmm, Luke carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, it is very important that you recognize that the text of Scripture and the man of Scripture, Jesus, have the same DNA, the same makeup, the same ingredients list. The Word of God in text is written by men, yes, but It is 100% man, and it is also 100% God. That's its makeup. It is God's word in and through men. Well, think about Jesus, the man. He's a man. He's 100% a man. But he's also 100% God. It's 100% of God in and through 100% man. It's the mystery, guys. And so I don't stumble over that. It's just, it's easy for me to comprehend. It doesn't trip me when I say that Luke wrote the book of Luke. I'm being weird if I say he didn't. Luke wrote the book of Luke, but... God, working in and through Luke, wrote those words to reveal what God wanted to be said. Oh, that's exciting. Hebrews six seventeen through 19, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, so in parentheses I'm adding, the great promises declared and an oath given by God to seal the deal. That was my addition, by the way in which it was impossible for God to lie. What an interesting statement. It is impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entered into that within the veil. There is something about this idea that it is impossible for God to lie that creates an anchor-like system. If we're going to build upon this word as if it is rock, well, it needs to be steady. It can't move. It is imperative that God is not a liar. If God is a liar, this whole thing known as Christianity falls flat. But if God tells the truth, the whole thing stands firm forever and always. Well, so you know which way I lean. I'm guessing you've sort of picked up on that. The truthfulness of the Bible is the whole study of this little series that I'm doing. And so, yes, I believe it is truth not just because I believe it, but because God says it is why I believe it. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. He has said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? 1 Samuel 15, 29, the strength of Israel will not lie. Listen to Romans 3, 4, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou might be justified in thy sayings and might overcome when thou art judged. I remember asking uh, one of the students that came to Ellerslie, who was struggling a bit with these ideas that I was bringing up. And I said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe God can lie? And she was so gracious towards God when she said, of course he can do anything he wants. Of course he can lie. I said, I know that sounds so generous to God to give him that privilege of doing anything he wants, but God himself has made it clear that there are certain things he cannot do. Isn't that a strange thought that there's things that God cannot do? Listen, he cannot violate his nature. Who he is, he is. That's what was revealed at the burning bush when Moses is saying, who should I tell him is sending me? What is your name? And he is going to give Moses a name. What is that name? I am that I am. What does that mean? Well, that's hard to understand in English. What it means is I was and I am and I always will be the same. So when you get to know God, he doesn't change. So what if you find out that this God is truth? That means he will never be anything but truth. Now, what if this God reveals himself in and through his word? What do we know about that word? Well, it reveals who He is. Well, what do we know He is? He is truth. And that will never change. So therefore, it's not just God that is true. It's His Word that is true. And His Word is going to reveal the man, Jesus, who is also true. He's also known as the way, the truth, and the life. And so as a result, it is critical, you know, as we go through this idea of the Word of God and its truthfulness, let's cherish the fact that our God does not change. I remember telling Hudson when he was really young, I don't know how old he was, three or four. He wasn't as excited about this as I was, but I was like, two plus two equals four. And I smiled real big. And I was like, isn't that amazing? He didn't see the amazement in it. I said, did you know that if you take two things and add them to two other things and combine them, you will always have four things forever and for all of eternity that will never alter. And I get excited about things like this. And I said, you know what? For the rest of your life, you can memorize the fact that two plus two equals four, and it will never disappoint you. It is a fact, it is truth. There is no lie in that, there's no hyperbole, there's no exaggeration in that. It is critical for our faith that we know that when we get to know God and when we get to know His Word, it will never change beneath us, it will never alter. God's Word does not evolve. It is stationary. It is set. It is like rock. It does not have shadow of turning in it. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is good news. If you'd like to take the additional three sessions where I'm gonna dig deeper into this, and there's some fun sessions in there, then just go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily and you'll be able to dig into the good stuff. All right, God's blessings. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.